Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Dave Glanz and Mike Mirandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, Hello, gentlemen. gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. You can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com, at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Dot com. Yes, thank you, Mike. (laughs) And on today's episode, we are going to review uh, the 1995 uh, Terry Gilliam science fiction film, 12 Monkeys. You're a very good observer, Cole. We have a very advanced program, something very different. An opportunity to reduce your sentence considerably. And possibly play an important role in returning the human race to the surface of the Earth. This film is, uh, well, this is going to be an interesting discussion for a variety of reasons, because one, <laughs> 12 Monkeys is a movie it's an interesting uh, movie that is just ripe for conversation. It's the kind of movie I feel like you could spend hours talking about, and hopefully we don't go that long. But the idea is, because there's a lot of big ideas in the movie, and even just kind of breaking down the plot of the movie and the overall logic of the movie is... Um, worth talking about but also it's interesting to talk about terry gilliam as a filmmaker and he's kind of a divisive guy um as a filmmaker because he's made a lot of uh, movies a lot of well-respected movies he's also made a couple of clunkers mm-hmm. um but he has a very distinct style in how he shoots things um and he's best known i believe artistically for the movie brazil which i know dave you're not a huge fan of i, didn't, um, I like it i didn't say it wasn't a huge i mean I'm, I'm not a huge fan but i do like it yeah um and that movie uh has a criterion collection and it kind of has got him a lot of um uh, critical acclaim yeah. and 12 monkeys is kind of the movie that i like best by terry gilliam uh just going out before i get your take because i this is one of my favorite movies and uh, the movie I, the reason i like it best i think it's the perfect balance of terry gilliam's eccentricity as a filmmaker excuse me <laughs> as a filmmaker and a comprehensible plot where you're invested in the characters and the action on screen and sometimes i think some of his movies are more style and you never actually um care about the um interactions between characters and what's going on and i think this movie strikes that balance in a a good way um so that's why i like it so much also i'm a huge time travel junkie and this movie fits that criteria so before i keep on blabbing on this movie i'm gonna go to mike sitting to my left mike has never seen this movie correct you're sitting to my right no you're sitting never mind forget it (laughs) i'm not sitting to anyone's anything See, we, we discussed this with Mike. I don't know when he's being sarcastic or whether or not he's actually being serious about things. I got like a 70% track record with Mike about whether or not he's being sarcastic. Um, but up until this point, you'd never seen this movie, correct? Correct. And correct. Um, how, first off, how did you watch it? Like um, With my eyes. With what format <laughs> did you watch it in? That was serious, actually. And my ears, mm-hmm. actually. And my nose, too. And uh, what did you think? I watched it. Sorry, to actually take that seriously, it was on. I got it just uh, streaming online, non non HD, I guess mm-hmm. standard. Because you're cheap. It's because I'm cheap. And to be honest, I, I I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say I don't notice any major difference between mm-hmm. the two. There is a big difference, but oh sure. I digress. Twelve monkeys. We're here to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Let's get to it. Wait, but let me let me actually. I'm getting ahead of myself. Twelve monkeys is a movie about. Uh, it takes place set in 2036, mm-hmm. where there is an apocalyptic future where humanity has been wiped out by a, a virus. Yes. And what the, the scientists in the future, uh, all living underground, send back to, um, volunteers, a.k.a. people they choose, mm-hmm. via time travel to somehow find out more information about the virus so they can somehow stop it in the future. Is that a decent... I think, I think they make the point of saying that, that there is no stopping it, that they are they're right. traveling back in time so that they can... Um, Preserve find the future. Cure. Find Preserve cure, the future. Right. Right. Meaning that... Um, and Time is immutable. You cannot change the future or anything like that, but you can learn from it and affect things down, downstream, as it were. And this is good to note because time travel um, in movies can get crazy complicated. Um, 
But this isn't the back to the future future where, you know, you can do one thing and that changes the timeline so something different right. happens right. back in the future, that kind of thing. Right. So uh, with that basic plot synopsis, Mike, what did you think of the film? Okay, I, I inherently really enjoyed it. I liked it. I, I, I don't know if I've seen any Terry Gilling movies. I've had Time Bandits in my Netflix queue for like years, but I never saw it. Uh, my only familiarity with him is his role in like Monty Python and his weird creepy cartoons sure which sure. are brilliant in their own right, right by right. the way he started, out, he started out as an animator right for right yeah an animator for monty python and the yeah. only american member of the troop is that right yes. i heard that yeah yeah and uh i believe he still lives in the united kingdom and has okay. since moved there full-time okay. okay okay yeah and he's he's a strange dude and you can get that you get that feeling from him. like when you're watching the first five minutes of the movie i'm like i bet this guy is really weird mm-hmm. um he but but like brilliantly weird i love i i yeah he has a very big sense of like world and space and like ideas. I think he tends, he's probably someone who bites off more than he can chew, which is what I've understand to be true. Um, and I kind of get that just from even watching, just watching the opening like five, 10 minutes. Um, but great world, great like attention to detail is very um, evocative, very like I felt like I was there, very um, immersive, like that aspect of it. I think there were problems with plot here and there there's some questions i was like wait what's going on with this like namely the homeless guy with the teeth and the voice i need to talk about that because i don't know what the hell that was all about mm-hmm. um but aside from that i thought performances were oh man bruce willis the more i see of him the more i, I grow to respect the guy because i think i always knew him growing up as like die hard and mm-hmm. ten action movies that kind of stuff but the more he, he could do some really com- uh, complex and really like great performance i think he was great in this movie i thought mm-hmm. he was very real he was a a guy, he was a person with feelings and vulnerability, which I never thought I would have seen out of Bruce Willis. Um, maybe that says more about my <laughs> exposure to what his work, yeah, but um, but yeah, it's just and, and Brad Pitt again, another one. I I don't really expect much out of him performance wise. I think I've just kind of always written him off as like a pretty boy. I I know he's done good stuff, <laughs> really? even at like, this point in his career. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see a whole lot of his stuff. I just haven't really had much of a desire to because it's just like it's Brad Pitt. I'm kind of sick of him. Media saturated with him. But again, I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was phenomenal. I think better the first half of the movie than the second half. But I, I, I was just like in awe for the first like, I guess twenty minutes, whatever it is you see him, and he's just like losing his mind. I thought in he the did insane asylum at the beginning, yes. where Bruce Willis yes. travels back in time, yeah. and goes to the insane asylum. Brad Pitt is there, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was some crazy stuff. Yeah, and I, and I think <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but like, and he he did crazy so believably well. It didn't feel like someone was playing someone who was crazy to me anyway. Um, yeah, and I, I think uh, I, I, the concept, I, th- I really, time travel is overdone in our generation now, I think, with sci-fi. Everyone's doing some kind of a, a, a time travel movie, but they did a good job with it. I like that they didn't try to change the future. I think Do you mean more, like they're injecting time travel into movies, say, like Star Trek, that, that remake of Star Trek? That's one example. Yeah, yeah. it's a recent Star Trek yeah. movie. Um, I love Lost, if you watch Lost, they had like a whole like two or three seasons with sure. it. Um, I just feel like I've been seeing a lot more of it lately, and to the point where it's like, okay, I kind of understand the rules, quote unquote. And every movie has its own take because technically, mm-hmm. logically, it's impossible. Like yeah, you, you make your own rules in the movie, right? You just have to follow right. them, right. right? Exactly, and that's I think they 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 did that in the beginning. They kind of called it out, and they they went through it. Um, but even still, it was just still intriguing. I think the final scene. Uh, when you realize what's happening, it's been a setup the whole movie. Let's not dive into spoilers too soon here, but uh, I thought it was really well set up and well paid off. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I will actually. What did you say, think of the love story? That's the most. Important I was thing. just about to say. <laughs> I know we've been kind of like uh, uh, criticizing a lot of movies for these awkward forced romances. Here, it happened quick, but I bought it. I mm-hmm. totally bought it. And by the end of the movie, I was I was like even more so. Like I get it. It's I'm, I'm okay with it. It happens fast, but I think they put enough stuff in there to make you feel like um, it's believable for me. Especially the final look between uh, the woman, what's her name, Madeline uh, Stowe, Madeline Stowe. Thank yeah. you, Stowe, and the uh, and the kid. Like she kind of looks at him and she realizes what just happened, and like right. that look that she gives him is just arresting. And that, that, that right. moment I thought was phenomenal. So, right. yeah, she was uh, a prolific actress in the late '80s and early '90s, and she kind of. You know, if you look her up now, she just kind of does a bit part here and there. Yeah, she was. In, Which is, I thought she was great. Yeah, she's yeah, a really yeah. good actress. Uh, Blast of the Mohicans was probably her. Oddly, my, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> my mom was a huge Madeline Stowe fan for some reason. Yeah. So like, oh, she was a good actress. For so some reason, I think it's yeah. No, but she saw like like she did a lot of like really cheesy like 80s and 90s thrillers oh, it was the 90s Stakeout was uh, her first one I think she did Stakeout she with did Richard Dreyfuss she did a movie called Blink 
mm-hmm. which is about a person. She plays a blind person who gets someone else's eyes, like a serial mm. killer's eyes. She did right. a lot of like some hey. direct video, but you know, a woman's got to get a paycheck. Who among us got to eat? You got to pay the rent. And I mortgage. digress. Dave, what did you think of 12 Monkeys? Uh, boy, this movie is almost 20 years old, which is which kind of blows my mind. Oh my um, this is my second favorite time travel movie with Bruce Willis. I'll, I'll say that. That's the, fir- the first one being Looper, which we saw together yeah. a few oh, years yeah, ago. Right, right, right. Um, and, uh, and, and I, but I do like this movie and I'm not, you're right. I'm not a huge Terry Gilliam fan. Uh, and I, it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly why. And I think, there's a certain amount of like silliness, even if something that's supposed to there's, be serious. There, there, there's it, like, maybe the same reason why I've never really, uh, Figured out Monty Python, not that not not figured out, but it's it's I've never really. Uh, it required, a polite, it, for me, Monty Python elicits like a, a slight chuckle, like you know, it's like Haha, I understand why that's funny. Yeah, you know, like, it doesn't get doesn't get me all. Uh, I, I don't really crack up at Monty Python. Yeah, because and, you generally need a sense of humor for that show. Yes, so it's, yes, if it's lacking. Like you, were you won't itching, be able to. You were just itching to get that. Out I could. Right? I couldn't <laughs> wait. I couldn't wait. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, overall, I mean, I I can see. Uh, I, I, I saw some things in this movie that made me enjoy it. I think maybe a little bit more um, than I had in the past. Um, and part of that is the way I perceive the ending now. And maybe we can talk about that mm. uh, after we uh, get further into this. But, um, you know, watching it again, I had seen this movie in theaters when it came out because it was critically acclaimed. And Bruce Willis was just coming off of Pulp Fiction. And Pulp Fiction was like kind of, you know, at this point, Bruce Willis hadn't really been a star for that long, really. I mean, he... His Die Hard was 19, late 1988, I think. And he was on the show called Moonlighting in the 80s, and he was a star mm-hmm. from that. So he was kind of in this point of his career where he was like, okay, I've got millions of dollars. Now I can start choosing projects with directors that are a little more interesting for less money. And um, yeah, He you know, chose so he a, like a lesser paycheck just yeah. to be able to work with Terry Gilliam, which right, is interesting. Right. And he had done Pulp Fiction because he was a fan of Reservoir Dogs. And so you know, he was starting to do movies, you know, that were a little more interesting and then you know like a lot of actors do where they do they do movies for the check and then they do movies because they you know want to actually do something worthwhile you know and uh you know terry gilliam was just coming off the success of the fisher king which most people liked and i i liked for the most part and um also brad pitt brad this pitt was, was this was kind just, of like yeah. the, this was this was a big year 95 was a really big year for brad pitt he was just coming off of uh, legends of the fall uh, which I think was ninety four, and then he had he done Seven, which was which was a movie I think holds up brilliantly, um, the David Fincher movie with Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he was in um, Interview, uh, Interview, with Interview with the Vampire, yeah. I think, also within that same. Which I don't think had come know. out when they signed him, so they got him actually for uh, in that that documentary mm-hmm. that you sent out. They mm-hmm. uh, they signed him for cheap. less, yeah, right. than they would they would have been worth. Yeah. Right. So this was like he he was just having hit movie after hit movie, and you know it was just a matter of time before like it's okay. This guy has got a lot of personality on screen, and and oh, well, he can do a lazy eye, and he can talk really fast. And, Actually, but I, he was you know that might was, have been a contact. I think it was a contact on his eye. Yes, I, he doesn't really have a lazy eye. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I, I know, but <laughs> well, I thought it was something that somebody That's could why do. He's and such I wasn't a brilliant aware. actor because yeah. in real life, Brad Pitt has a lazy eye. He's he got a regular has eye. To concentrate really hard on <laughs> himself. Otherwise, he just looks weird. You know. Uh, anyway, yeah. So Brad Pitt, you know, is pretty good at the talking fast and everything. And uh, one thing I, I couldn't help but think watching it this time because it's been a long time since I've seen it this movie came out before Fight Club his character in this oh. movie is almost like a precursor to Tyler Durden his character in Fight Club where the, the stuff he's talking about it's it, all the same universe it's all the same kind of gobbledygook where he's talking about like you know you know they're the crazy people we're the sane ones blah 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 that kind of stuff and uh, you know so it, it, I thought that was kind of interesting um, but overall I thought the movie was you know uh, entertaining uh, you know, I don't quite get emotionally uh, involved in the in the story as much. There's something about Bruce Willis that, uh, while I really like him as an actor, I've never really um, can't relate to him. It's not that I can't relate to him. It's just that it's just that uh, there's there's always something I feel like that's keeping me at a distance with Bruce Willis. And I think if it, it had been another actor, as much as I like him in this movie, and as much as I like him as an actor, I might have connected more with the movie hmm. overall. And Terry Gilliam's style. Um, Sometimes the the Dutch angles that he uses, oh god, and the, the tilted eye, frames, the, uh, and the fish eyes. Sometimes, rather, sorry. It, and I and I noticed this time, I, I, I had this memory of him uh, using it more throughout the movie than he actually does. He uses it more 
basically when he's trying to convey something's off kilter something is yeah, or crazy something's wrong in the insane asylum it's like there but it's also kind of like a very blunt instrument you know when, when you know like, oh things are off i'm gonna tilt the camera that's now, so and you i think understand, that's part of his know? style like everything's a little like weird and hokey right. and he's not afraid to do that i don't the think. stuff that i really appreciate that he does is like in the in the details and the production design like the stuff in the future with all the plastics and the yeah, rust yeah, and everything's yeah. not quite uh futuristic you know it, it feels old and a lot of his movies have that kind of sensibility um, like Brazil and uh, Adventures of Bear Munchausen was this movie I remember seeing in theaters. I didn't know that uh, that Terry Gilliam was the director of that movie at the time. I had no idea who he was, but I remember seeing that movie. Have you guys seen that one? With I have not. Adventures it's the only Bear Terry Gilliam movie I haven't seen. Right. <laughs> with, I think John Neville was the star of that movie, and uh, it's one of those really random kind of, I think you would consider it a cult movie now. Bizarre, bizarre movie. Um, but um, anyway, I've kind of rambled on enough. I, I, I enjoyed this movie. I think it, it holds up pretty well. Mm. Um, well, I mean, I, I buried the lead a bit. Uh, well, not buried the lead. I uh, gave away mm-hmm. what I thought about the movie, this one movie last week. This, this is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm trying to think about why that is. And one, I'm a huge fan How of How old were you when you first saw it? Oh, well, it came out in 95. I saw it in theaters. So I was 10. Damn right. Mm. So, huh. Wow. Yeah, my mom was a big fan of Madeline Stowe. She took the whole family. <laughs> um, and I didn't quite get it. And I was very scared of it at 10 years old. Oh, God. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I subsequently would rewatch it and uh, start uh, understanding it, and um, I think I've gotten a lot out of it since then. Um, I hope so. Yeah. The thing I like about this movie is I don't think time travel is a possible thing, but I love the idea that you can't change the future. I love that concept. I love the idea that if a time traveler did exist, we would see him, he would always have been in our present right, before going right. back to the future. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie handles that so brilliantly in mm-hmm. so many different ways. And... If, I think that um, if you look at any time travel movie, you can pick it apart for flaws in the logic. This is the hardest one for me to... This movie is the hardest for me to do that. I think there are still issues, mm-hmm. but logically this one makes agree. the mo- most sense that, with yeah. me. Yeah. Like I can tear Back to the Future apart all day. I love that movie. Why would you, but that, that movie Why makes no you? sense. Right. And, like, How do the parents not remember that Marty, their son, is the same person? Yes, that, I know. You know that, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It, it drives me nuts. And this movie handles that in a very interesting way because if a t- person traveled back into time, traveled back to a present time from the future, we would consider them insane. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a mm-hmm. really interesting take on that where they put the time traveler in an insane asylum and um, and, and it goes from there. And and I think that the way, the way that the story structures the relationship which between Madeline Stowe and Bruce Willis, which inherently should not work, mm-hmm. but the fact that it even gets me to buy it by the end, the fact that they, yeah. they, they have some form of connection, uh, I think is really, really strong screenwriting. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the movie, he, they bury so much stuff in this script and so many leads and so many just visual flourishes throughout. And uh, you mentioned the production design, and that's one of my favorite things about this movie, because oftentimes the future, when we see them in movies, it's like, that'd be really cool to live in that future. Mm-hmm. This is a future that no one would no, want to live in. No. And it, it looks disgusting, but it looks disgusting in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. It's not just a wasteland, uh, apocalyptic wasteland. That would be conventional and boring. Mm-hmm. Here he's created this really interesting underground system, and the suits that they wear look... The, the suits themselves were nominated for a Best Costume Design, mm-hmm. just because all the lighting and... Uh, all, all the look of it looks like a combination of a biohazard suits and space suits and all that. It was very stuff. similar to I think uh, Blade Runner in that sense of uh, the sense of futuristic clutter and I, I th- almost every single, including the inside of a sanitarium, which should have been like clean and cleanly. Even the, the paint and the narrow everything was peeling. And that paint was actually was shot everywhere. in an old mental hospital in Baltimore, I believe, that had since closed down, has since been uh. destroyed. Um, but they actually sh- and they like didn't oh, even wait, try it's, to. It's demolished now. It's been it demolished. Even, yeah. Wow. Uh, but like they would hold like. They purposely chose a place that looked disgusting and decrepit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, everything about all that kind of stuff is just very, very visually interesting to me. And I agree that the Dutch tilt stuff is very ostentatious. Mm-hmm. And I agree that Gilliam's style is very in your face. But in this movie that's dealing all with psychosis and stuff, it totally yeah, it works. works for me. Yeah. It's thematically appropriate. And um, all of Gilliam's movies have some element, I feel, about what is sane and uh, madness. He, he, he deals like a just, lot with madness, yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the Fisher King's a great example of that. But mm-hmm. even movies like um, uh, the the Imagineering of Doctor Parnassus, these realities and all that kind of stuff, which wasn't a great movie, but still, he's um, he's he's dealing with the same kind of collateral here, but. The reason this movie works is he's got a really good script to rein him in, I think. Mm, yeah. And I think that's what makes this 
this by movie. David and Janet Peoples. Am I pronouncing Peoples. They, their actual last name is Peoples? Um, Peoples. Right? Peoples. I think right. Peoples. And, it's, mm-hmm. and um, I mentioned on the Facebook group, this is based off a very famous short film called um, Le Jeté. Le Jeté. <laughs> Le Jeté. Uh, and, you know, I was telling the guys before we started recording that I've never actually made it through that film because I find it incredibly slow. It's, it's not a film, it's a collection of photographs. It is. It's, it's photographs in black and white, but it's the same central story. It's the idea of a time loop happening mm-hmm. between our central character where he sees his beginning and his end. Right. Because that's essentially so the He movie. witnesses his own death and it's about how he travels back in time to prevent, I think it's like a world world war in this mm-hmm. case. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and this movie kind of expands on that technique. Mm-hmm. So the one, one th- okay, so now that we've kind of gotten our initial impressions out of the way, Mike, I wanted to ask you, when watching it, um, one of the great joys I have in this movie is when I watch it, I love the, like, aha moments. Like, that's why that happened, and that's mm, why this thing happened so before. And did, did you get that kind of same visceral thrill yes. when watching it? That's one of the things I like the most about it. Is it happens so many different places where she's spray painting the walls. And that's the thing, the image that yeah. you saw at the beginning of the and movie. And then even just, mm-hmm. I like, I, what was really cool is seeing everything fall into place. Like, when we see it, you guys just drank out of a glass at the exact same time. I'm so sorry I need to interrupt my thought, but that was incredible. <laughs> it was like perfectly synchronized. <laughs> Let's uh, stick Mike in and say asylum now. <laughs> <laughs> From the future. So um, there was like, when he's walking around abandoned Baltimore in the in the. I, Philadelphia. It's I think the first it's, it's Philadelphia. It's Philadelphia. But it's sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Philadelphia. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Um, there is. You see, like the angel in the in the store. You see the animals all around town, mm-hmm. and it's really cool seeing how they set that up. Like the last, like I think, twenty minutes of the movie, you're seeing all those pieces. They're raising the sta- angel statue into place. Mm-hmm. Um, They're freeing the animals from the zoo. Freeing the animals from the zoo. The woman leaves the oh the voice recording by the she, way it was it, so creepy when they play it back and it's all distorted. But it's her voice. But it's her voice, and you don't mm-hmm. understand. You just think it sounds distorted and, because, and then when you hear it. Like, oh my God, that was her. And um, I love in time travel movies where they are inadvertently the cause of their own demise. Yes. So yeah. the reason that everyone thinks that the 12 monkeys did it is that voice recording, she says, it's the, it's, she's she's joking because it's the army of the 12 monkeys and so forth. And she's mm. giving them bad information, not yeah. true information. But the thing is, like, and this is why time travel never really works if you really logic it out. The only reason why she was sent back to accuse them is because she gave them the reason to believe that, but the only reason why she gave them the reason to believe that is because they gave it to her in the first place. It's an endless loop doesn't make any sense. It would never be able to... But it makes sense in this movie because Cole has always been in the timeline. Okay, so so I'm sorry. You guys are calling this movie an endless loop, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's an impossible loop because they're... So, okay, you think about the reason why they have suspicion on the 12 monkeys mm -hmm. is because... Essentially, she spray paints it on the on the wall of the building, right? Mm -hmm. Well, she only does that because she was informed by the people in the future that... Mm -hmm. It was that's where it took place only because they saw the photograph in the past, which she put in place because she was informed by them. It just goes back and back, and it doesn't make any. You can't. <laughs> but do it, it does in the sense that, like, like I like in the movie, Cole wasn't sent back in time in the sense that he is always in the present, sent back from the future. So he he exists in the present to change the. It's hard to explain. This yeah. is where time travel gets confusing. <laughs> right, right, right. But like that still, always happens. Everything still, always happens. I just want to interrupt. For one second, I still remember when Back to the Future Part Two came out. Okay, did you guys ever read Mad Magazine? You yeah, want to? Have you? I mean, I never. Everybody knows it, but everybody, yes, I so, used to read it. I used so, to check it out from the library. Yes, I, right. Yeah, I, I think I probably did too. That's amazing. So there was this, there was this thing where they would spoof a movie every month, right? And so they, that month was Back to the Future Part Two, which is famous for having this kind of timeline we're talking about where it's like it's all over the place you have to like draw a map so they have this one panel where john madden who's this nfl commentator <laughs> was like you know on a chalkboard like drawing x's and o's and explaining like the path through time and back <laughs> to the future it's like okay we're just gonna interrupt this movie to explain everything blah 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 and you know it's it's i think all time travel movies at some point feel like they need that kind of, that kind of thing you yeah, know yeah. because and there's no there's no real there's always going to be a hole. There's always going to be a logic. Right, because I don't, I don't, I don't think it's like scientifically, logically possible. I don't think these are one of the things I don't think we'll ever be able to do mm-hmm. as far as technology goes. Well, but, yeah, of course. But I think because <laughs> like the, well, I would never say that about anything. Cause there's so many ridiculous things we have now that seem impossible in the past. But I just don't think there's. I think you just can't do it. I and mean, this is the exact reason why. Because it's this recursive loop that would never like. It couldn't ever. There's no starting point. It's, right. It doesn't. It would never. It's the chicken and the egg. Yeah. It's not like they. I, I think if it had been something where they had other information mm-hmm. and they, because of other information, they sent them back. And then they, mm-hmm. they, but the fact that it was dependent upon well, its not, own site, well, it's like a, you know. 
for me, time travel is just a tool in, in, in a movie, right? Yeah, and this is, by just, the way, this is, like, this is one of the few movies that didn't really bother me as much. And I was able to kind of like let that go and just say, okay, whatever. That's kind of cool that we see how these things went into place and how they kind of work. And, right. and it didn't bother me like it has in the past. I've learned that, like, okay, if you're going to do time travel, you're going to get pissed at something. I've been chomping the bit to say something. Well, what's up? Um, oh, I was just going to say before I forgot that they did spray paint Brad Pitt and his crew spray painted all over Philadelphia. We did it with the twelve monkeys symbol. They're ref- right. not referring to the virus, right? But referring but to releasing the animals, the animals. Yes. Right. which yeah. is which again is a great twist. I mean, they're setting up this movie that the whole movie is about this army of the twelve monkeys, this terrorist yeah. group that released yep. this virus, and all they did was release animals from the zoo. And I right. I love that. That's a fantastic <laughs> twist. Um, so, um, you, th- you think they set up enough um, in the movie to like? Go, usually when there's a twist, they usually have to set up uh, the story enough so that you believe what, what the other side of that twist is, right? So I didn't get the feeling, at least in my opinion, that David Morse, who plays the care, who plays the actual villain of the movie with the red hair, um, mm-hmm. that he's the scientist who has, he works in the lab with Brad Pitt's father, who's played by Christopher Plummer. You know, he works in that lab. He has the virus. He's the crazy one who wants to spread you know, the virus and create mm-hmm. the apocalypse. I don't know that there was necessarily enough story there for me, at least, to really say, okay, so it's not Brad Pitt's character who we've been spending all this time with. Ta-da! It's this other guy who, yeah, I mean, and, and I already knew this from having seen it, but... Uh, he is set up in the early in the movie, though. Yeah, but I know, so, but is so it enough? Briefly. I mean, it's for, I guess for me, it's not quite enough to like say, okay... And isn't yeah. it somewhat fascinating that, again, Madeline Stowe kind of causes the apocalypse to happen because she calls up Christopher Plummer's character to Tell try to... to and then he's security, like, we need to yeah. beef up security, I'm gonna give, and I'm going to take myself out of the equation and give it to this other completely nutso guy yeah, and yeah. like that kind of stuff is they're they're all the architects of their own their own demise this guy who yeah. has a blank look on his face all the time talking about the apocalypse i mean that's yeah. one of those things that terry gilliam does in my opinion where it's like yeah obviously everyone should know that this guy's insane hey, he's, he's, he's walking up to madeline stowe talking about well, the apocalypse the thing. And I, public book signings I, I was and I, I was unhappy about this, especially with how careful he is to setting things up and not revealing information because he doesn't want you to know certain things. So we see in the airport, um, young Bruce Willis is watching a man in like this Hawaiian shirt and long hair running through the halls. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I assume so. At first, you, you don't know who it is. Then they actually show you the face of Brad Pitt. And they show you the face. Of like Brad what the Pitt. hell? So yeah. I just assumed it was Brad Pitt. And I was I my, I wasn't really that concerned about trying to figure out who it was. Well, I think the idea is that these are dreams that Bruce Willis is happening, and dreams are very fluid. Mm-hmm. And if you're he was in no. a mental when he has that dream of Brad Pitt, yeah, he had he had right. just met Brad Pitt, and he's in a mental institution, right. drugged up. Have so. you ever had a dream where the people in it get kind of mixed? In right, but as far as like the language and I think the structure of the story, I don't. I feel like that's not a Reliable. If you're gonna, if you're not gonna show someone, and then all of a sudden you show them, mm-hmm. I feel like that. For me, I'm trusting the narrator, and maybe that's maybe that's on me. But I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done. That. I would, the tr- I would have just not shown his face mm-hmm. because I think it's so much cooler than if the he turns around and you're like, oh, your first reaction is, oh crap, it was him, versus like, wait, wait a minute, wasn't that supposed to be Brad Pitt? Like, what well, happened? He probably, there? I think it, they're implying that at some point, he, so he's remembering. I mean, at some point, Brad Pitt's character's on the news, so he probably remembers as a kid having seen that face on the news and then just mixing it and matching it with this and, traumatic event. And the other idea yeah. being that Gilliam is trying to set up the fact that maybe there really is no future. Maybe Brad Pitt, not Brad Pitt, maybe Bruce Willis really is insane. Mm-hmm. And they set this up with the idea that he has the dream with Madeline, where Madeline Stowe, first first time you see Madeline Stowe's face in in the dream mm-hmm. and he wakes up and he tells her I saw you in my dream she's like oh I was not I wasn't in the dream before you're just imagining that I was in the dream now because now you met mm. me and I'm incorpor- you're incorporating me into your fantasies right so um I, I think that there's this underlying thing about uh, tension around the movie is is are people actually insane mm-hmm. is there actually delusions I, I think, that mm-hmm. kind of thing and the one thing I I, I kind of would have done it differently since I'm this famous well-educated <laughs> director with thousands of dollars in reputation. Right. Um, I, I think him dreaming, why have him dreaming? Why not just say it's a memory I have and I keep thinking about it, I'm obsessed with it, I can't. Because dreams for me are always, like I, I think it's more intriguing if it's a memory mm-hmm. and you're trying to figure out why. Maybe that gives too much away to the plot down the road, but I, I feel like every single main character in every, every single show has a recurring dream mm-hmm. and it's just I feel like that's overdone. I think it's more intriguing if it's like, I've seen you before in my ago. life. Like, this is, what's that? This was 20 years ago, this movie. Uh, yeah, it's true. That's true. But still, I, I don't know. Well, I yeah. guess, I guess, the, the, I guess it makes it a little bit hazier, which is what he wants. He wants to be a little more confusing and not. I'm trying to conceptualize better why I think this movie is so good. And I think that the best way I can put it 
is the whole movie is like putting together a puzzle and by the end you're satisfied with the picture you've created. Okay, so and, uh, yeah. speaking of that puzzle, let's go back to that because you were, you guys were saying this movie is an endless loop and, and my opinion of this movie changed because I now see this movie as not quite as endless of a loop as you guys seem to be well, implying. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think? So here's my question. My question is, do you think that Bruce Willis accomplishes his mission in the movie? Yes. Yes, yes. he does. Yes, okay, he does. see, I had seen this movie before Maybe I just didn't pay close enough attention, but I always assumed I saw this movie as, and it is a bleak movie, but I always saw it as like he fails. It's impossible for him to succeed because whatever. I mean, that's just, that's just well, what that's I, like. I would have felt that way if they didn't go so far as to say that you can't change the future, but we can get the information that we need to properly diagnose and treat uh, They're never right, going to stop. Because even Bruce Willis says, how can I change the future? How can I change the future? The future is like, how can I change that? It's already happened. There's nothing I can do right. for that. Right. And I, this is a logic problem I have in the movie. And this is the major logic problem I have in the movie. Okay. Well, just, let me just say that now I understand is what happens is because in the last scene, they show one of the scientists, mm-hmm. the lady scientist has obviously traveled back in time. Bruce Willis has, has accomplished his mission. He has uh, gotten them in touch with the person who actually causes the apocalypse, played by David Morris. Mm-hmm. She's on the plane with him. She's a travel back in time, so she's going to be able to get a sample or do whatever it is she needs to do. Tis. So that I understood. When I had seen the movie before, I thought, well, I thought it was just her as supposed to be as a, as a younger woman who mm-hmm. just coincidentally had met you know, David Morris on the plane. I didn't understand. No, she exactly. has the amazing line, I'm in insurance. I'm in insurance, but I just thought that that it was just some kind of joke saying that I'm insurance. Okay. Well, you know, she's ensuring that the future happens in no, the year 2035. In, in, in the airport, Bruce Willis makes the call, which gives them the information they need so that she can right. do her thing. The issue I have with that mm-hmm. is a, how does she get a sample back to the future? Because those samples still need to exist in the present right. in order to infect the entire well, world. Well, that's one of their logic rules. They have plenty of technology to send people back, but when they come you know, forward into the future, they just kind of blink. Like there's no, uh, you know, they just kind of disappear. Well, they, well, they explain how they do that, though. So I, I'm going to argue that. Huh? Okay. Well, how that, that's, that's, the te- that's the teeth thing. Okay. That's how they. That's that's their tracking oh, the, device, and that's how they pull them back. Okay. It's all in the teeth, and that's why when he removes the teeth, he's unable to go back okay. to, the, yeah. to the present. So, yeah. um, they, they can't bring <laughs> things back with them, though. So, what? so the spider would he swallow the spider, which was horrific, by the way. Yeah. When he swallows the spider, the spider does not go with him, or spider would, but he ate it. So, how is that going to be useful? They poop it out. I mean, come on. It's just, <laughs> I, guess, oh, I guess they didn't have time. They didn't have time for him to, no, to poop that no, out. Yeah. No time whatsoever. A diuretic but, or something. But anyway. going back to the woman, and if she's sitting next to him in the plane with a virus that has been exposed, wouldn't she be ill if they pull her back to the future and infect everyone in the future? That, that's my big issue. I, yeah. I think the idea is. Is awesome. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a great like. It's so well, not like you said. It's not on the nose. Mm-hmm. They never said. Oh, they never show her like stealing one of his samples and then going I, yeah, back to the I future. Would, I assume she, she sim- just steals. She it simply too. shakes a hand and says, "I'm in insurance," and that's enough. Right. Like that should be enough for us, okay. which right. I really really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still doesn't quite make sense for me how she uses that to save the world back right. in the future. But. She See. grabs a sample, or you don't even know. Maybe she is going to try to kill the guy and save the world. But she right. can't kill the guy because he still has to infect everybody. Maybe he won't. See, this Maybe is the kind of movie where you end can. up in these kind of conversations where you're just talking about like all the mechanics, the semantics, of the, the right. semantics, and the puzzle pieces and yeah, stuff. And, yeah. You know, it's like I, I guess I react to movies better when when I I emotionally invest in some of this. But that's the thing, stuff, you know. Beyond and, being an interesting puzzle, I'm I actually do care. I believe about mm-hmm. Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe. I think okay. that relationship is interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I think there you can argue that their love story, so to speak, doesn't quite work because it happens mm-hmm. so quickly. Mm-hmm. But see, here's the thing. I think it happens quickly for her, but not for Bruce Willis. If you think about it, he's known her. His whole life, he's seen right. this woman. So what he's witnesses a child, right? He's seen someone get murdered, and in the aftermath, he sees some woman going after this guy who she cares so deeply for him that he can see it in her face, like how tragic it is for how tragic the situation is for her. That so she's just he's lost been in somebody. her head. She's been in his head. I think for he was a profoundly affected by her, especially when she turns to him, looks and at him, like, smiles at it with this sad like. Hmm. I, I can see how as a child that could really deeply affect you to the point where like that stays in your mind for when you actually do meet her and you realize that that's the woman. Mm-hmm. I could see why he would have fallen for her so quickly. It, it almost made me think of a little bit of Groundhog Day of where the, you know uh, have you all seen, you, I'm assuming you guys have both seen Ground, Groundhog yes. Day, Bill Murray, um, and uh, how his character Seriously? falls in Mike, love. You have, not, <laughs> I haven't seen it. you have not seen Groundhog Day. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so I, I wasn't going to spoil Groundhog Day, so I better not. So. 
Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. There's a, I'm just saying there's a romance of Groundhog Day where I think anyone who's who's seen it can understand how uh, a person and you, you end up knowing this person better than they know you, basically. And, and I think that's what we're seeing about Madeline Stowe and Bruce Willis's character is that he he meets her and it's almost like he knows her already. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's what they're supposed to be. Uh, implying or saying with the movie, I got that. But yeah, I, I, but yeah. I didn't really feel it. With like, maybe it's just Bruce Willis again. And we should mm. talk about Bruce Willis because the way you you talk about him, like in a movie, like you, when you said Die Hard, it was almost like you're putting down Die no, Hard. No, no, no. And I, I don't think he was good in Die Hard too. It's just I think he was great in Die Hard. Well, here and, I'll put it in and, the context. And, and and one of the reasons he I think he made it uh, as an actor was because he was able to project not just kind of this macho but tough guy, as well, attitude, but yeah. also like like. You know the scene in, in Die Hard where he's like pulling glass out of his yeah, feet, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like uh, you know, basically thinking he's never going to see his family again. I mean, he was pretty solid as an actor. He he chose a lot of he made a, made lots of stinkers, but well, I, I will say so. I put that into context. I, I agree with you 100. Yeah. percent I never seen any of the movies. I grew up just mm-hmm. you know the last like three or four of them hearing them in theater or whatever mm-hmm. theaters, um, and it was always just like okay, yeah, explosions, guns. And I think later in the later in the series of movies became that way, right? But. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently, I think Ivan and I had saw like seen the watch the first two. I think it was right, and first both of them. Three. Die Hard. We only saw the first two. Die Hard two, you and then three. Die Hard so with a Vengeance. Die Hard with a Vengeance There's is five. the masterpiece. Oh, is that the one in New York? Die Hard That's with a Vengeance. I think yes. Die Hard okay, with a Vengeance okay. is the best Die Hard movie. Yes. We just oh saw God. Um, I think Die Hard's a great movie. Die Hard. I like with Vengeance. Die, I like Die Hard with a Vengeance, but that is not. Die Hard with a Vengeance that, that is a ending. great cat and mouse thriller. That ending is not a good ending. <laughs> the very end of the movie, I agree, is the weakest part. But the I never mind. We're getting out for yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Third one is good. First one was phenomenal, and it's for the same reason. I, again, that was a movie we watched. I'm like, oh, this guy is not. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to these guys like just running around shooting everybody up, never mm-hmm. grimacing, never like shedding mm-hmm. a tear. They do and get br- they do get Bruce Willis to shoot some people though in this movie. He does get that kind of steely Bruce Willis look. Yeah, right, it wouldn't scenes. be a Bruce Willis movie without it, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, like, my yeah, no, contract I, I states that I must point a gun and do this particular. Hey, wait, come, can I can I get a gun here? Can I fire a couple of rounds in? some guy can I stomp someone's head is that I, I right need, and I need to punch some people and he does punch <laughs> some people with kind of this crazy aggressive you know what's funny if you, if you watch the behind the scenes you see how, how it's like almost like he co-directed the movie he's yeah. sitting by Terry Gilliam like well, hey, you know I really think I should have this scene I disagree with you I don't think I'd be doing I think he's what had that, that reputation as an actor be... though as, as a yeah. guy who is like very heavily involved in how he's perceived as a star right so he's gonna be like in the editing room, looking over Terry Gilliam's yeah, shoulder, yeah. which I thought was kind of hilarious. And we're talking about there's a movie, a documentary out called The Hamster Factor that is a, you know, complete behind the scenes hour and a half long movie about the making of this one, which is which you I can watch for watch. free on YouTube, which is you know I think worth your time I if you like Twelve Monkeys. It's good. Yeah. I should watch that because I really like this movie. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I guess I want to talk about some of the. Like little, like I said, watching this movie is almost like a game to me. Like catching all the little things that are hidden throughout it, and there's so many little. Um, What's your favorite little top three favorite little things hidden in the movie? The word <laughs> keys and Florida keys um, are yes. constantly throughout yes. the entire movie. There's a lot of visual parallels. A lot of visual parallels. They, they advertise going to Florida Keys on the radio, and he comments that they mm-hmm. book a trip to go to the Florida Keys at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in when he's standing in the uh, department store, there's a sign for the Florida, for Florida Keys. Keys. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, and then you work the word key, monkey. Like there's there's all these little he gives like, him the key in the uh, sanitarium. There's the, all these uh, little linguistic, mm-hmm. linguistic like plays on the word monkey and key and key, all that throughout the whole business. And, and so I think that's really just fun. Like it's fun literary device. Yeah, like throughout it's just, the movie. Yeah. and I think that makes it especially interesting and. Just the um, and the, here's another example of it's a wonderful world being used ironically, but the end credits yes. song is movie. Yes. Well, oh yeah, but I think actually, just like in uh, a Good, Good Morning Vietnam, Vietnam, I couldn't Good help Vietnam it. Vietnam and every other movie in the world. Yeah. But the scene where they're actually playing it in the, in the movie, I felt like that I thought was, it was just being the end genuine. What I thought it was just the end credits. Where they no, 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 it's in. I think he's in the cab. He's in. To he, it. No, he's in when he when he kidnaps. Oh, um, yes, her for the yes, first yes. time. Uh, from, I thought that was another Louis Armstrong. Song. No, no, no. It's wonderful because I was thinking about it Louis in the Armstrong, movie. It's Louis actually Armstrong. I feel used genuinely. Hmm. I think it's kind of showing like his wonder at like I think he likes the music and he just wishes he could live in this time. Cause he's mm-hmm. above ground and everything's like alive and he's like he's. I think it is actually fitting. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe maybe in a, in a double edged sword kind of sense of like. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because the world that Gillian paints in the present, both in 1990 and 1996. Is disgusting. Yeah, it is an ugly world. Yeah. It's not like he takes him back 
you know, to a time when things looked good and everything mm. was nice. They show Philadelphia and it's a it's it's trash hole. Yeah. Like it's yeah. and Baltimore. Except for worse. some of the interior scenes, you know, like you know those, you know, like the mansions and there's ever a few scenes that take place in like, uh, you know. You're talking you know, about Brad Pitt's fathers. Plumbers. Yeah, yeah. But even that, like, it's, I don't, I feel like the whole movie looks gross. It, yeah. No, I agree. I, it it takes a, place yeah. in the winter. Mm-hmm. It's just not, like, it's not a place, like, the fact that I that love, looks. I like, love winter. <laughs> it's not a, <sighs> well, how about this? Like, the idea of, like, winter, after it snowed, and you're in a city, and the snow turns to that black, ashy, disgusting, sure. like, poop On look. the street corners. <laughs> no, I don't like that. That's it won't what, melt. Yeah, that's what Gilliam captures. He captures mm. a slush of winter yep. in this movie. And I think that is really a fascinating, uh, fascinating thing. And, I mean, just so many great, like, cool things that just make me love this movie so much about how it all kind of ties in together like how cool is it when madeline stowe sees the picture with of in the book yeah. that she wrote right. yeah. of him being in world war one right. he's been there the whole time and right. she yeah. removes the bullet See, that shot i mean him. i thought that was yeah, yeah that's I, I mean, cool. honestly i mean do you remember the scene and a photographer being in that particularly because they have bruce willis they send him back in time again, and then he ends up in World War in World War One, right? Because time they don't quite time travel is not exact science; they're not quite good at it. And, and, right. and there's a photographer, there's a guy taking photographs there. I mean, while well, everyone's a, getting bombed, I it's mean, a war, and they yeah, did have. I know there was war, war photography, but that that seemed like a particularly hairy situation. I mean, I don't know if a photographer. Oh, dude, there's, was some, really... there's some pictures of Japanese internment camps, like yeah, that yeah but that but of... that's not there's not actual bombing going on in, in those camps. I mean, this is like well, shooting well, and bombing and. And uh, I, yes, I, I agree that was it's kind of a clever thing. But I, I, at the same I, I, time, it's like really it, the, the guy actually got a picture of Bruce Willis. Or when he sees Jose again in 1996, his face is all screwed up from the mustard gas yeah. because he was back in uh, the, yeah. World, World War that, that kind of stuff. I appreciate like, yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff is just like yeah. It's really cool. So why was he in World War One? I, I don't. Was he because just it was just an accident? There? They just don't have an exact control because so they, they screwed up initially. They sent him to 1990 instead of 1996. Where, what was he? What mission was he on? We mm. just don't know. Oh, Jose was sent back. I'm guessing that Same they take thing. all these volunteers. I think mm. I bet they sent back several because oh, they're trying okay. to get as you know as many information gatherers as they can. Oh, yeah, okay. um, yeah, that stuff I enjoy. I mean, I did enjoy how the the little sense of humor he has about uh, time travel, which. Kind of reminded me of Time Bandits, this, this movie that I, I remember seeing on HBO when I was a kid, and being it, it, that also had kind of a relatively bleak ending. I remember being horrified. That ending is horrifying. <laughs> that ending, and is you it, haven't seen it, right? Yeah, so yeah I, I'd like spoiled. to. So don't. Yeah, is it yeah. anything like? But uh, it has the Looper same, with the, the, no, the time, doctors. No, and Time the, Bandits is close. Is like clo- in his career is closer to when he was with Monty Python. So it has more of a kind of a you know okay. John Cleese is in it. Uh-huh, uh, Sean right. Connery is in it, I think. Sean Connery, um, and you know a lot. Of, you know, I think a lot of people from Monty Python are in that movie. But the the way time travel works in that movie, it's just very, you know, it's very, uh, it's not not deliberate, but it, they end up in random places, right? They they open up a time portal and they jump through it, and they're trying, they're searching for money, and they end up in some random time here, some random time there, and uh, so I think he was playing with some of those same concepts where it's like time travel is a bit of a, a kind of a can't be a perfect science even even in your own own world that you've invented there's still going to be some kind of like goofy things that may or may not happen so Hmm. i appreciated that stuff about the movie um the one thing i can see that a couple things about this movie i've heard a bunch of criticisms of the movie um and being one of my favorite movies i like to try to understand what those criticisms are one being brad pitt's performance because he was nominated he was nominated for an oscar best supporting actor did he win for that role no. or he was just nominated no um, and it, it was a very acclaimed performance but you could argue that it is very much a performance mm-hmm. like no, it is I... very showy and, it, and oh yeah definitely but it's okay and, and, and in rewatching it now like I, I personally like it, but I can understand how you'd watch and be like, God, this guy's so hamming it up. He is so going Man, overboard. Man, I didn't think so. I, I would say that the, for some reason at the end, when you see him in the, in the at the gala or the gala, whatever the hell you say that word, mm-hmm. I still don't know. Mm-hmm. And you got the long, that felt Not like, that there's anything wrong with gala. No, Sorry. no, no, not nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's running around with like the long hair and the and he's... Yeah. That felt more, didn't feel a genuine. When he's in the, in the nut house, ah, man, I don't know. Something about it. It didn't. It, okay, yeah, it felt like a performance in the sense of it was very, very big. And I think if someone was actually that crazy, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be that in, like that much crazy. But I think if somebody who's I've crazy, seen some people on the street that remind actually me, that's true. Yeah. Some guy was like yeah. shadow boxing a wall on my mm-hmm. way to work the other day. So maybe <laughs> no. I, I think like he. Um, 
it was big, but mm-hmm. it was believably big for someone who was crazy. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Nothing about it was like, well, hello, like any kind of really over the top. I thought we're all seemed with. I guess. Like, I guess my. You know what I mean. Thank you very much for doing that, Mike. You're I have welcome, it. I've, Andrew. Welcome, we've audience. Now recorded. I've recorded that, so I can use that later to blackmail you. Uh, but um, you know when um, there's a difference between someone acting drunk and actually being drunk. Mm-hmm. I think you can make that argument about Brad Pitt's performance in this. Right. Okay. If I if if I had, if he's I had acting three, crazy. Mm-hmm. Is he? Crazy. If I had three crazy people and I had to identify who was actually faking it, it would be Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's but faking it. You, had, you, had, something... you had to appreciate how far he was willing to go in that role, and that, especially at that time in his career. When he's the hunk stud right. who... Right. This is very anti-type. Yeah. He's playing right. against type. Right. right. Um, because especially towards the end, he has the long hair. He doesn't look good. <laughs> he looks no. bad. And he's got that weird eye. Yeah. When, yeah. when he lets his real eye, his real lazy eye <laughs> come right. out. Just... Almost, at the same time, it's like, you know how... There are there are movies where like it's the, the the girl who's considered like a nerd who all she's doing is wearing glasses and then and she, takes she goes out the yeah. she takes out the glasses and puts down her hair and oh she's a pretty girl and all you know it's it's almost like that where Brad Pitt's like okay so they gave him a lazy eye you know <laughs> he's and still that, so and, handsome and, you know it doesn't matter the lazy eye I've ever <laughs> like, seen okay, in my yes, life it's still Brad Pitt you know whatever uh, but you know I, but I you were saying that uh, you just kind of view him as just Brad Pitt in these movies but he's been. Especially the past 10, 15 years, he's been pretty solid in, in like choosing interesting he, projects. See, and, he always tri- I haven't seen him think, in um, Burn After Reading, right? I haven't seen yeah, him in yeah, things like that. Pretty, but, seen, right. pretty funny I, I know he has movie. roles like that. I feel like yeah. all the ones I've seen. Moneyball. Like um, Benjamin Button. Everything just feels very one note. Not a great kind movie, of, but he was good in it, yeah. Well, he just feels very... Yeah, I didn't like the movie, actually. He was... Uh, parts of it I liked. Yeah. I think he tried to do too much. Mm. Story for another, another time. But mm. I think he... I don't know. I always... I just thought he had the brooding kind of roles where he just like stands around looking beautiful and everyone's like, just give, here's my money. I want to look at you right. for two hours. Um, and I thought you this know, was I, mean, like, I can think of even more. I mean, the assassination of uh, Jesse James by the car oh, before yeah, he was right. great in that. You're right. You mean yeah. the most uh, underrated movie of the 2000s? Yes. Maybe, maybe. The internet knows it too. The inter- We don't have to tell the internet that. Um, it knows. And, and, and again, Moneyball. I mean, Moneyball, was really, he was really good and that was, he was really good in it. Uh, Burn After Reading. I mean, he's been really good in some comic roles. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on. There's one, obviously, Fight Club. Uh, Glorious Bastards. Glorious Bastards. I appreciated him in that. Um, oh, uh, Tree of Life. Tree of Life. He was actually yeah. really good in Tree of Life, too, which is, you know. Yeah, all right. I take it back. Yeah. I, I think my initial instinct on him is just like he's eye candy. But right. you're right. I know that I think about his upset because he's so handsome. I will never be as handsome as he is. It's just like he <laughs> that's pains okay. me. And, that's okay. and I want to take that from him. You know? I want to take it from him. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about. Uh, <laughs> The humor of the movie, sure, uh, which is a good story because yeah. this movie's got a lot of funny scenes, a lot of funny scenes for a movie that's so dark and kind of bleak, and I think that's Gilliam's sense of humor coming through. Yeah. There's some very Gilliam humorous moments, mainly like the scientist singing to him, yeah. and the way he shoots that, and like this weird close-ups and stuff yeah. like when, that. When he's getting it's loaded like, into the time machine, and they're all like, you they know, talk like to him great like work a, with the spider, excellent like a Greek, work. Like almost going. like a Greek chorus or something. Yeah, the way they speak yeah. To him, you know? It feels very theatrical. Um, mm-hmm. But yes. the other other scenes I, like, I find laugh out loud funny is... Uh, when the pimp tries to, uh, when the pimp at the very, I think the pimp scene is very funny, especially after Bruce Willis removes his teeth oh. in front of him, and he's like, he's a crazy dentist. Yeah. And a role play. <laughs> yeah. I think that I think. So you're talking about the scene where it's he's it, it's one of his return trips, and uh, they're in the hotel room together, mm-hmm. right? And, and the think, pimp they comes think, in. They think she's a prostitute right, playing a role right. of the psychiatrist. Right. right. And uh, he walks in. Is this one of my delusions? No, this is not one of your delusions. <laughs> yeah. right. That That's hilarious. I think the whole scene where... Um, Brad Pitt for the, the scene in the mental hospital when Brad Pitt is showing around is funny like the mm-hmm. guy with the bunny slippers that comes up to him is like are yeah. you mentally divergent yeah. and then they do yeah. the cut away to his yeah. bunny slippers the guy sits like, in his chair and he's like that's my chair get out of there it's and almost he, like they inserted some one flu or the cuckoo's nest stuff into the movie but like, yeah but yeah. I, I still would have again there's the way he films a lot of that stuff could have been toned you know, down it was because it was always it's almost like throwing frosting onto sugar or something it's like okay we already understand that this is it a crazy is place i will like, get that it's let's big. just you know let's just let's just tone it down and he, he even has the soundtrack of like looney tunes going in the background yeah. like so they're loony like everything yeah. it's not a subtle but could you imagine no. terry gilliam like him being in that setting and not being able to milk that for all i mean i feel like he's just like oh we gotta do this we gotta do this like, like terry gilliam has always wanted to shoot an insane and silent scene <laughs> and he finally got the chance to do it the other thing i want one, I the think. other thing i love about this movie is the score i love Love the score. The accord, there's a lot of accordion. The accordion because it's like a big carnival. It's like yeah. a big, morbid okay. carnival. That's a good point. Yeah. 
and it's crazy. It's a big. It's a sideshow, and yeah. that's what he does. And the, it's an unconventional score for a science fiction. Thriller. Oh, definitely. And yep. and the fact that he makes that harpsichord kind of creepy, especially at the you know I think there's like there's there's this menacingness to it in mm-hmm. a way, especially you know at the end when you see he you know it plays as all the animals have escaped and you're you're seeing the reality of yeah, yeah. what's actually going on. I, I find it a very effective and unconventional score used just the right amount in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Anything else you guys want to talk about this movie? I feel like yeah, I got about the the, the um, homeless guy, the crazy guy with the, the raspy voice, voice that he keeps hearing. Okay. Yeah. What, so what? So yeah, there's, there, are, there are scenes in the movie where Bruce Willis is in the future and he's hearing voices in his head, and you're not quite sure. And also, in the, is is he? I mean, I, I think this movie's maybe trying to say maybe this whole movie's in his head. But I, I mean, honestly, in my opinion, I think there's enough in this, more than enough in this movie to make you think that, yes, he does travel back in time. They're not trying to say he doesn't travel back in time. I think what they're trying to say is that, yes, he travels back in time, but he's also Going probably crazy. a little crazy at the same time because time travel would probably make you crazy. I agree with that statement. Yeah. I think that time travel must F you up a little bit right. if you were to go through it. But, Which is why he starts thinking he's crazy, right? But then, and who knows with that homeless guy in the street? I, but I don't but hang on, but then if that's not, if that wasn't true, if he was just crazy, and the whole tooth thing didn't matter, the tooth um, thing does matter. That's right. So if that's if, so right, if, and I and he I takes out you, his teeth at the end, they can't track him, they can't pull him right. Back and he time. learns that from the homeless guy in in the present or mm-hmm. in 1996 whenever that is mm-hmm. so obviously the guy unless it just happens to be random and he just well, says that and it's I true I don't my, buy that I think he was legitimately I, it's, it's iffy I could go either way on that the one way being like you said Mike it's too it's too perfect that guy has to have been sent from the future yeah, he to must tell have, him no, something then, if that's true why did he act oh I guess if it's the woman he would be playing dumb because he doesn't trust. Because he doesn't trust. Yeah, and that's just him kind of trying to keep himself. Safe. And he pulled. And maybe there's two options. There's two theories I have with, with that, and I think both are equally viable. One is that he was in fact a time travel traveler, like Bruce one of the Willis, volunteers. One of the volunteers, volunteers yeah. sent back, and he thinking. ripped and he ripped out his teeth, and so they mm-hmm. can't pull him back, and right. that's how he knew that. And he's crazy. And he's also completely <laughs> nuts from going, you know, time travel. And <laughs> the other one is um, well, that's probably the <laughs> that, that's probably the most logical solution. Yeah. The answer to that question. Yeah. The other one is, uh, you know, how conspiracy theories work in the sense that in order for a conspiracy theory to make sense to the theorist, mm-hmm. they have to only accept. The stuff that corroborates their theory and ignore everything that doesn't. Right. Like, so Bruce Willis is making that crazy random homeless person, like, fit into his delusion of the voices he's been hearing in his head. Mm. Like, maybe maybe the voice in his head never actually sounded like that, but when he meets the guy, it sounds like that. Hmm. You know, it, 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 becomes, mm. okay. it becomes a creation to fulfill his own fantasy. And um, that that's a that's less interesting to me. I love yeah. the idea of them sending another volunteer. And you think about this: the volunteers are essentially criminals they're sending back, right? Yeah. yeah. So I love the idea that they send back a crazy, violent volunteer that goes crazy in yeah. the present. So that that would be my. Yeah, I, I just feel like it was it was distracting for me because I'm trying to figure out like there's too much going on and you're trying to connect too many dots at that point that on, like yeah. you don't you didn't right. need that at all. I don't think. Right. Um, but. Uh, um, one thing I wanted to talk about in this movie, just to go off on a on a tangent, was uh, the the stuff. Uh, I, I I don't know if I had seen the movie Vertigo, uh, which is a Hitchcock movie. Uh, but they it's watch voted, it. It's voted. It was voted the most, you know, the best movie of all time by Sight and Sound which recently. I, which I disagree and with, but you, well, yeah, you can disagree. But I'm just saying it's it's major league. It, it, Major, I'm sorry, Major League best should be the best movie. Sight and Sound, the best movie. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. Criterion Collection. I thought it was interesting because Vertigo, especially the second half, and I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but it's about kind of inevitable, inevitability, inevitability. In, in a way. And it's also Jimmy Stewart's character is, is kind of a little bit crazy in that second half of the movie. So I, I, I thought that was interesting how, how they were having them watch Vertigo and kind of paralleling and there's a parallel between what's going on in 12 monkeys and what's going on in vertigo and you know it's it's and then it becomes a little less subtle when he, she actually changes her hair color at the end to to blonde mm-hmm. just like in vertigo this this character does oh the same i didn't even thing. i didn't even pick up on that that's um, good yeah and that's to become cool. a different kind of person hmm. but i thought you know that stuff was kind of interesting and there's a little bit of the soundtrack kind of that leaks into 12 monkeys too from vertigo and uh, anyway, I, my point is, I want to recommend Vertigo to anyone who hasn't seen Vertigo. Your tangent is to watch another movie while discussing this movie. <laughs> yeah, well, 
I, I think Vertigo would be an interesting movie to rewatch for this podcast because mm. um, I don't get the hype for that movie at mm. all. Uh, well, I, Hitchcock I, movies in general do. No, no, mm. I, I like Hitchcock movies. Mm. Well, not all of them, but mm. I like certain like. I like Rear Window a lot. I get, yeah. I get the That's, appeal to that speaking one. Speaking of Rear Window, have you seen the on, on? I think it's on YouTube. Well, someone, someone recreated all the different. Took all the angles, all the camera shots, yeah. and actually composited together one yeah. in giant picture of yeah. everything happening. Yeah, I think in, I did. In time, oh my god, brilliant! Um, uh, what do you? So, what do you guys think of the fact that this is going to be turned into a TV series? I know you're. Would you? I think you said last time it doesn't sound so good. I <laughs> just. Rethinking. I, I, um, I think TV's out of ideas and no, it's up against actual. Well, I mean, TV's this, in its golden if, age. If so. there is a time for them, <laughs> actually, to, if there is a time for them to make a network TV, television, no, no, not network television. But Correct. I mean, if there is a ch- time for them to make a good TV series off this property, this is the time. A mm-hmm. um, couple issues with that. One, sometimes I feel like as a culture, we can just make something and let it be, and mm-hmm. we have a real problem with doing that. Right. And, yeah. and and and. Everything we always have to come back to something, and sometimes right. we just let it go. But the, right. the big issue I, I have with that the, completely. the big mm-hmm. issue I have with remaking or doing a TV series on Twelve Monkeys is the reason I love this movie is like I said, it's, it's a circular a, story. It's a, it's a, it comes it, up, it, and it it's comes a puzzle back, where yeah. everything fits together. Right. I and I like the picture that that puzzle has made. I don't know as a TV as a TV series. How do you serialize? How do you serialize? Yeah. So here, here's what series. I think they could do. Interesting in this because the world is interesting, but right. I, I, you can't well, make that puzzle every show. I, w- I wouldn't say I wouldn't have said this before having seen uh, the series Fargo. Have you? Did you guys? I have not, but I hear that's really good. And before, because so there was a series on FX uh, based on the Coen Brothers movie from '96 called Fargo. And I, when this when they, when they announced they were making the series, I thought this is a dumb idea. This is one of the one of, probably one of the greatest movies ever made, and uh, they're they're gonna. I mean, what's the point of making a series out of it? Turned out the series was excellent, you know, really good. And, yeah, I think. And, and, the, and part yeah. of the reason it worked was because they took some of those a lot of Coen Brothers ideas and themes and integrated it into the show. But it wasn't a remake of the story the way, say, and this is a bad example because I like Battlestar Galactica, but Battlestar Galactica was this really good remake of a '70s show, but it was the same story basically fargo right. is basically taking a movie concept and turning and, and, and injecting looking at the background right it, it, keeping yeah, background. That, that world some some character themes that were in fargo so i think that they could take 12 monkeys take some of those concepts and make it into something interesting the only problem i have with it is the fact that it seems like uh this movie really relies on this kind of bleak ending so it's like you, you're gonna watch 12 monkeys knowing that it's it's you know, you're inevitability. You're right. It's going to be. It's, okay. so I'd like I know, to know this, what the plot it's, is. It's nice not knowing how a series is going to end. You know, or if the plot is just like you know, if they're like time cops and they're just going back right. in time to try to. That's that makes more sense than trying to tell the same story over the course of either an infinite amount of episodes or even a finite where you're saying like two or three seasons, like right. the same story. When does the series know. actually come out? Do you know? I think January. And what, what network not, is it going to be I'm, on? I'm not sure, but you can look it up. I mean, here's the thing with television I, and, and just episodes, and you can see this with uh, the show Lost, if anyone, you guys are a fan of it or not. When the series had no end date, it stalled. It went in endless loops. You just It was it was all over the place. Plot holes started appearing. Things mm-hmm. were, the minute they had an end date and they could plan for like a story arc, everything went much smoother and much better. And I think that's the I think TV shows are always just this perpetual like keep making more and more stuff with no end in sight. Network mm-hmm. TV, yes, I think that there's a different model for non-network television. Yeah, what AMC has been doing lately has been right. phenomenal. AMC, like to see FX, more like FX, uh, um, and I HBO. Think I, because HBO, I mean, you watch a show like. Um, like you watch True Detective, that's just an eight-hour movie. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I that's, love that's that all it is. Right, it gives I, you the, I, I don't know. The, maybe that's what they're going to do with Twelve Monkeys. I mean, who knows? I mean, it won't be with Bruce Willis. It won't be with Brad Pitt. But uh, I mean, I don't want to, you know, crap on something until I see it, right. and I could be very good. I just mm-hmm. where, where, who's I don't have high expectations for it. I'm just I'm just curious <laughs> to see what you Again, guys like. Who's who's producing it? I, it? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, okay. I, just because, know I, I had this argument with books all the time. Everyone's like, "Oh, we got you got to turn that book into a movie." Like. Why can't we just enjoy it as a book? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's done. You right. know, maybe that's what it was meant to be. I mean, it's right. different medium. You can do different things with it. But I, I agree. I think it's it's leave something the way it is. And, and, I, and that's my big argument for the Harry Potter. I, I really do not like the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I'm I, not, love, I don't hate them, but I'm just... I, I'm, I'm, me, I'm, I'm mad yeah, about meh. it. And I love, I love the books. And I can't mm-hmm. wait to share those books with my son mm-hmm. when, you know, he's old enough. But I mean, they made those movies because they made a gajillion dollars. Right. But those movies were those books I'll, are I'll meant to be this. books. Not I will, I'll say this: the I only the only movie I liked was the, the the part one and two of the last book because they gave they were able to give the plot a 
appropriate amount of time to tell the story and everything that mm-hmm. happens in the book. Up to the point, all the other six movies were just this this manic marathon flying through the plot as yeah, fast as they all they all can. kind of blend together to me. We're getting yeah. off, we're getting way off topic. I just uh, we, the it's point the point I think we're trying to make is maybe leave twelve monkeys alone. <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll <laughs> leave twelve monkeys alone. But, you know, <laughs> this is a good science fiction flick. I think it really holds up in reviewing it, and mm. I was afraid it wouldn't because I haven't seen it in a while. And um, I think this deserves to be a pantheon sci-fi. Fiction I would movie. agree with you. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, up with the all the other classics. Yeah, I like give Alien. it like a B plus. That's it's where I am with it. But B plus is still pretty good. No, I, yeah. it is. Yeah. That'll get movie. you into college. Let yeah. me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, any final <laughs> thoughts as we close well, out here? I think a couple episodes back, you asked a question to Dave, and I think it's a good way to kind of sum up every podcast. Like, do we say is uh, it a film or a film movie? or movie? This is a film for me. For me too, yeah, I say film. it's a film. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's it's a little bit there's more enough depth in there. That it's yeah. more than just the thriller aspect of yeah. it. So I'll say I say it's a film, and I'd even go so far as I, I put this on my shelf on the esteemed oh, it's Mirandi, on, it's on the Mirandi shelf, Mirandi DVD Blu-ray shelf. <laughs> it's uh, made of marble, <laughs> made of marble, gold inlay. The shelf or the DVD? Uh, yes, both. <laughs> I um I actually bought the Blu-ray to, to rewatch this movie, nice. so okay. I now I now it is officially on my shelf. I just streamed it online. Yeah. Oh, I, one thing I will say: the poster. <laughs> what's with this red glowing eye? It's the twelve monkeys symbol. I yeah. Don't know. It's yeah. A termi- I don't. It, I don't like it. It's, like it's, it's too Terminator-ish. And yeah. it's weird because in that documentary, they actually show some of the marketing uh, behind the scenes. They show Terry Gilliam at a meeting with these different posters, and I'm like, hey, she chose the Terminator one. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was kind of strange. Back in the mid '90s, posters were very star centric. Like mm-hmm. just get yeah. get their faces and get floating heads were like all over the nineties and sure. movie posters. Even the poster they have like it's like silhouettes, but they're so smooshed together that it's just like a half poster. a bunch of half of faces in this thing. I'll agree, not a good poster, but yeah. you know, hey, what you gonna do? <laughs> it's Terry Gilliam. Screw you. Yeah, he um, care. One other one other interesting fact I thought was interesting. Uh, an interesting fact that I thought was interesting. Let's just okay. let's just point that well, out. Well, you may find interesting facts. I'm interesting. <laughs> That's true. Maybe people won't find this interesting fact <laughs> interesting. Um, the, the interrogation room in the future, where he's uh, in a chair that kind of slides up the wall, I like and there's that. a giant video That's ball. Cool, yeah. And if you look at the behind the scenes stuff, it's like the most expensive thing in the movie. This video ball it turns out that uh, that was inspired to almost to the point of being stolen from this this uh, video installation artist uh who actually sued the producers of 12 monkeys and then received millions years later uh the artist's name is Liebes woods Friggin um, Liebes. and he had this installation called neo-mechanical tower upper chamber i wrote it down and they and, just uh, use that for the movie and they just yeah if you go and look that image up online you'll see that, that it's the same shaped chair the the very angular chair and it's the same video ball in the air i mean it's it's bizarre that because he's you know and I, who knows uh, who's to blame for that kind but of is stuff that, i guess this is an obvious question mm-hmm. but i guess you're stealing intellectual property and i get that but it, it's different when i guess you, you have a um a company that's making money off of something versus an artist who's just making you know, i guess every artist needs to yeah i don't know so. i mean you wouldn't want I mean, you wouldn't want your idea to just pop up on screen without. without yes, I would. Asked, I just would like asked, to be appropriately paid well, for. It, yes, yeah, you would yeah. like to be paid for it. And I think the the way I found out about this is that I was trying to remember or think about. You know, this movie's look was influenced by other movies, obviously, like say Blade Runner. As we say, Blade Runner influenced every science fiction movie. But at the same time, I watch this movie and think, "Oh wow!" Now I, you know, some of like the, I couldn't help but think of the Matrix. I couldn't help but think yeah, of, of yeah. Looper. Um, Looper, a lot of yeah. other uh, movie like Dark City, this, especially uh, the way Looper handles his time travel machine, is very similar to this. Right, like, there's a lot of kind of like retro like grunge look yeah. that 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 uh, I don't know if you could really see too much of it before Twelve Monkeys. So it was kind of an inf- yeah. maybe an influential uh, production, you know, in terms of production design and and uh, look for science fiction movies. I think uh, you know, it definitely it's definitely there. <laughs> anyway, so little aside there about the uh, lawsuit. Oh, that's a good way to end it. So, um, <laughs> for the record, Dave, not interesting. <laughs> not not interesting. interesting. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It no. was interesting. Um, uh, any closing been, thoughts? It's also probably not the greatest way to interrogate people. Why don't they just, you know, oh, come on. stand in front of them? Effect- I'd be so afraid of heights. I'd just be like, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you whatever you want. I, what is this video ball accomplishing? <laughs> anyway, uh, no more closing thoughts. I mean, okay. Anywho. <laughs> Anywho, I've been started surfing the net. I was reading about the web. Put his books uh, away. He have time for this. Oh. Twelve Monkeys series is what I was doing. Um, <laughs> any uh, final thoughts, Mike, or do you want to just tell us where we can find you on the internet? What? I got a, I got a whole bunch of closing thoughts. Actually, let me, let me get my book out. It's <laughs> you know, in, in conclusion, in conclusion, 
You can Mike find me Mar- at Mike Morandi on Twitter or MikeMorandi.com. Dot com. Dot com. Someone's going to type in dot com twice. You're gonna <laughs> maybe miss, miss out on your biggest potential client. Right. <laughs> Wants to give me millions and he can't find my website. Yeah. Mike. No, sorry. That's Dave. Dave. That's Dave, Dave over there. Dave, sorry, Dave take I'm it trying, away, Dave. I'm stepping from sleep <laughs> this weekend. Uh, Dave Glanz on Twitter, GLNC, and DaveGlanzProductions.com. Damn it. Ivan. Dot damn it. And I am at Ivan Kander, and you can read my writing at Short of the Week. Dot com. And my website is Lucky Nine Studios. Dot gov. There we go. Uh, so now that we are officially, fall has fallen, um, and we are fall has fallen. We are officially into the um, autumn has arrived. Autumn has arrived, meaning Halloween is here. That means next episode we are going to do a classic uh, horror film, and I have chosen The uh, Exorcist, which I've never seen. So uh, and I've actually seen this. Mm-hmm. Tables have turned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, if you guys like like to follow along, watch The Exorcist for next episode, and feel free to email us your comments about this episode at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Email condiments. Yes, condiments. <laughs> and Ketchup, condiments. mustard. If you got some Taco Bell <laughs> sauce packets, that'd be fine too. Some um, some Chick Fil A sauce, all that stuff. I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> at contact at reviewedpodcast.com, and we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. That should be it. So we will see you next time with The Exorcist. I'd like someone to email me some mustard, maybe some relish. You would relish if someone... I would relish a chance. I'm going to end this. (laughs) Please, please. (laughs) 